Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone. Reading today is Numbers 9, verses 15 through 23. It's page 110 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if that helps. And if you're in need of a Bible, those are free for you to take. If you need one, feel free to do so. Let's read. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, and after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. And at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over, continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tab tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Thank you, Nate. A couple of weeks ago, I came into the house humming a song from Handel's Messiah. And my wife immediately made a comment about my frequent listening to Handel's Messiah. Yeah, it's true. I've been listening to Handel's Messiah quite a bit. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing because, you see, all of the words in Handel's Messiah are Scripture. All Scripture. 100% Scripture. And the verses put to music in, that, in, that, in those songs describe the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And several of those songs, several of those scriptures, describe the glory of God, also known as the glory of the Lord. And meditation upon these songs and upon these scriptures has inspired me to research this topic further. And I've found, and most of you know, that the glory of the Lord appears throughout Scripture. It's everywhere that you look. So let's today take a tour through the Bible looking for the glory of the Lord. And let's look with anticipation. Someday we will see the Savior in all His glory. Now just a, a small commercial here. Some of you may have the, a copy of the bulletin. And there is a fill-in-the-blank outline in the bulletin. If you'd like to do that, 
Um, I, I just wanted to let you know right now there's an answer key hidden on the top of the Welcome Center. That's that little piece of furniture out in the hallway. So at the, after the service is over, you can compare your answers to the official answer key. See how well you did. All of the answers, I believe, will appear in the PowerPoint. So let's just hope the PowerPoint works today. Um, so let's proceed. This is an example of following a theme all the way through Scripture. And this could be done with many themes in Scripture. Maybe, I, I don't know how many there are. I would guess it could be infinite because men and women have spent entire lives studying the Bible and you can't mine it out. It's, there's, there's a lot there. So let's, let's start our tour through Scripture beginning in the, the book of Exodus I know this is advertised as Genesis through Revelation. We'll get to Genesis later on. But we're going to start our tour here in Exodus. And we're going to first define the glory of God. The glory of God, as has appeared in several of the songs that we've sung already today, the glory of God can refer to different attributes of God in Scripture. But today we're going to look at one in particular and this is often described as God's Shekinah glory, which we will define as a visible manifestation of God's presence. And that's really uh, what the songs in Handel's Messiah are talking about, a visible manifestation of God's presence. The word Shekinah does not appear in Scripture, but it has been adopted as a way of describing God's visible presence. Shekinah comes from a Hebrew word that means to dwell or to reside. I've got a lot of illustrations in this PowerPoint, and I'll, I'll just tell you right up front that most of these illustrations are imperfect. Uh, I mean, how can you describe the glory of God accurately? I've never seen it. We read about it in Scripture, and I have an idea that it's going to be far more spectacular than we can imagine. I'm going to start with a very imperfect example. When I was a little boy, my brother and I were sometimes sent to the machine shop in the evening with our dad. And we had another brother who was younger who had been in diapers at that time, so he didn't go with us. But I would love to have heard the conversation between my dad and my mom that resulted in the decision of two little boys going to the machine shop in the evening with their dad. I don't know what that conversation was. After all, I wanted to go play somewhere. But anyway, my dad would do his work in the machine shop. I'm sure not as efficiently with two little boys around him, uh, but occasionally he would have to do some welding. And before he did some welding, he would tell us, do not look at the bright light from the welding. It will hurt your eyes. And little boys obeyed. We did not look at the bright light. Uh, I have since then always thought about the glory of God somewhat in relation to the bright light of welding. Uh, the glory of God is described in Scripture in some places as a bright light. So there's an imperfect example. And like I said, most of the illustrations today are going to be imperfect examples, but there's one that I think is pretty close to being on target because it's scriptural. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever seen anything like this before? You need a really dark night and probably time-lapse photography to get it to look that good. But the glory of God is on display in the heavens. 
Isaiah 55, 9, already mentioned by Jordan this morning, says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I remember an evening in September several years ago in Wisconsin. I had brought my telescope with me, traveling from Iowa to Wisconsin, and I intended to go out at night and use my telescope to, uh, to uh, do some stargazing. I, I um, drove away from the little town there in Benton, Wisconsin. I got out in the country, away from the streetlights, and it was one of those nights it was just beautiful. I mean, there was no moon. The sky was clear, and you could see so much. I can only remember four or five times in my life seeing a night sky so beautiful. I could see so much with the naked eye. I had a pair of binoculars with me, with me that I used. I could see nebula in several places in the night sky. In fact, that sky was so beautiful, I never got my telescope out. I just used the naked eye and binoculars. Truly, the glory of God was on display that night. Now, in Scripture, the glory of God is described in several ways. It's described as a bright light, a cloud, a fire, or a combination of the above. And, of course, the glory of God also is a person, because, after all, the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was a visible manifestation of God's presence. He was visible. He was there. He's a person. So he uh, is also the glory of God. John 14, 9, Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. God the Father, speaking in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, says, describes the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, as the brightness of his glory. So let's now begin our tour of Scripture. We're studying the glory of God, in and in particular, we're looking for accounts of the visible manifestation of God's presence. We pick up the trail in Exodus when God's Shekinah glory began to be daily on display. And as Nate read today, uh, God's glory was on display either in the form of a cloud during the daytime or as a pillar of fire at night. And in this illustration here, you see uh, the cloud leading the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. There is one time in Scripture, though, that the cloud actually uh, removed itself from the front of their procession to the rear of their pro procession, and that was when they were going through the Red Sea on dry land. The, the Egyptian army was chasing them, and the cloud actually became a barrier between the Israelites and the Egyptian army and protected the Israelites, and we know what happened. The Israelites made it through the Red Sea, and the Egyptians didn't. They, the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. And we know from the scripture that Nate read that the pillar of cloud became a pillar of fire at night. And uh, after the tabernacle was, was built, which was about one year into the exodus from Egypt, the, Lord, uh, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, resided on the tabernacle and was seen there every night as a pillar of fire. And also, as was read in the scripture, sometimes the pillar of fire started moving at night. That was a signal it was time to start moving, Israel. Pack up. It's time to journey to the next destination. Sometimes the, the um, 
glory of the Lord remained in one place for as long as a year. But whenever God said to move, they moved as we uh, study today. There was a very special time during the, uh, the time of the Israelites in the wilderness when the glory of God enveloped an entire mountain, Mount Sinai. Exodus 24, 17 describes that scene. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, we read that all of the people, by the way, there are probably as many as two, as two million people journeying in the wilderness. So as many as two million people heard the Lord speak the Ten Commandments out of the fire. That would have been an awesome experience to hear God speak out of the fire, the fiery mountain. And Moses went up into that fiery cloud on that mountain, and he was there on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the Ten Commandments and other instructions from the Lord. And while he was gone, what were the Israelites doing? They were making the golden calf. They were going the wrong direction. And we know what happened. Uh, uh, various judgments happened as a result of their sin. The tabernacle was especially associated with the glory of God. As we've already described, a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire uh, was attached to the tabernacle uh, continuously for over 40 years as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness. Uh, when the tabernacle was finally completed and put together for the first time, here's what happened. It's described in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. And I'm reading, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And from then on, the glory of God was associated with the tabernacle at that very special time. God was building a nation, a nation the nation of Israel. And uh, this particular picture here is a picture of a full-scale replica of the tabernacle that's uh, there in southern Israel as a tourist destination. My wife and I got to visit this a little over 10 years ago, and I took this picture as the bus was leaving. I took the picture out of the window, and uh, we did get a tour of the, of the tabernacle. We got to see what was inside this courtyard, and then we got to go into the tabernacle itself. And in the very far end of the tabernacle, in fact, the, uh, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire were probably over this end of the tabernacle because at the very end of the tabernacle was what was a little room called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was located. And here you see one of our fellow tourists taking a picture of what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we're going to talk more about what was in there later. Um, as we develop the, uh, the theme of the Ark of the Covenant, you might, you'll get an understanding of how it was a little bit spooky being in that room and taking pictures, and it wasn't the real thing. But yet, but yet the, uh, the awe was there. So let's talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. God's Shekinah glory is especially associated with the Ark of the Covenant in Scripture. God gave Moses the instructions. He gave him the blueprints. He told him what materials to build it out of. And the, and the Bible says that God even gave 
the men that constructed the ark, he gave them special abilities to do the work to um, produce this special object. The, the ark, the uh, lower part of the ark was constructed of wood overlaid with gold, but the top of the, of the ark, or we'll say the lid, uh, was made of pure gold, and as, as we've seen in this picture, there were uh, two cherubim uh, molded together into the uh, top of the ark, and those two cherubim were facing each other, and uh, I think they were looking a little bit downward toward the, uh, the uh, uh, lid of the ark, which is also called the mercy seat. You could almost think of that as God's throne. We know from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, that the contents of the ark uh, included the, t- the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. I was just reading in my Bible just this past week that uh, when Moses finished his writing of Deuteronomy, uh, he gave instruction uh, for his writings to be placed inside the ark. So the, um, the book of the law was placed in star- inside the ark at least for a period of time. And then finally, the ark, the ark of the... Um, covenant was placed in the tabernacle in the holy of holies and by order of the lord the ark of the covenant was actually seen by human eyes only once a year and that was by the high priest on the day of atonement that's that's explained in hebrews chapter 9 verse 7 now there was a time in in the history when the ark of the covenant was actually captured by the enemy the Israelites foolish, foolishly sent this uh, very sacred object into battle, and it was captured by the Philistines. But they didn't keep it very long because God plagued them, and they, they sent it back to Israel right away. Um, and then later on, the Ark of the Covenant was transferred or transported to Jerusalem during David's reign. You might remember that story where at least one guy, one man died because it was, he didn't handle the Ark properly. Um, and then finally... Um, the ark was placed in Solomon's temple when the temple was constructed, and it was placed uh, in a special room called the Holy Place. And 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9 says that at that time, the only thing that was inside the ark w- w- uh, was the stone, or were the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. So the uh, pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded had some... Had, Sometime over the centuries been removed, and the only thing in the ark at the time it was placed in the temple uh, were the stone tablets. There is no mention uh, of the ark of the covenant after uh, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. There's a special description of God's relation to the ark of the covenant. And there are several verses in Scripture that, de- that actually describe his presence as enthroned above the cherubim. I interpret this as there being some kind of a glow or supernatural light that was a visible representation of God's presence that was, uh, vis- would have been visible only to the high priest once a year. And this is described in several Scriptures, so it's, it's not, I'm not making this up. Uh, it's actually described in several scriptures. They're there for your, for your benefit. I'm going to read one of those. It's uh, Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, 
thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. So the nation of Israel knew that there was a visible presence of God in relation to the Ark of the Covenant, and this was known. Um, again, like we've said, the high priest is the only person that got to see it, and he only got to see it once a year. But uh, we read in Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, that Moses actually heard God speaking from the mercy seat. Now, God's glory, the glory of God, is also associated with the temple, which was constructed by King Solomon, and it took several years to complete, and uh, Scripture says that the glory cloud filled the temple after the ark was placed in the holy place. Uh, just for your information, the, the length and width of the temple were exactly double the dimensions of the tabernacle, so uh, length and width-wise, it was twice the size as the tabernacle. I'd like to read from you First uh, Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And this is what happened immediately after the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the temple. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord." And here we, get, here we just see an artist's imagination of an artist as to what that might have looked like. Glory so intense that the priests, the priests could not stay inside the building. Now, uh, Solomon's temple was destroyed uh, centuries later uh, the, uh, by the Babylonian army. And uh, Israelites, uh, the Jews, were taken captive in Babylon for 70 years. And... Uh, they returned after that 70-year captivity, and they constructed a second temple. But the uh, ark and the Shekinah glory were missing from that temple. Now, that second temple was later, we'll say, remodeled and uh, expanded by, by King Herod. It was known as Herod's Temple in New Testament times. And there was some glory associated with that because the very Son of God entered that temple on a number of occasions, and we read about that in the New Testament. There will be a, a, a future temple, and we believe this will happen during, during the millennium. It's described in Ezekiel chapter 43, and the scripture says that the Shekinah glory will return to that future temple some, someday, something to look forward to. Now we come to, I would say, uh, the saddest part <laughs> of this message, and uh, uh, this was written by the prophet Ezekiel. Let me set the stage. There were several waves, I think at least three waves of captives taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, and a young priest by the name of Ezekiel was in that first wave of captivity. And while he was captive in, in Babylon, the, the, you know, Israel was still standing, the, the temple was still there, the ark was still there, but God gave Ezekiel a vision of what was happening back in Jerusalem. And uh, here's the description. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 11, we see the glory of God leaving the temple. Um, 
Ezekiel chapter 9 says, God departed from between the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. Chapter 10, we read that um, the glory of God departed the east gate of the temple and finally departed Jerusalem east to the Mount of Olives. Now, how sad is that? Um, Also in Ezekiel, we read about what was going on in Jerusalem and in the temple, uh, all kinds of idolatry that provoked God uh, to remove his glory from the temple and from the city. And there's also a principle in this, in that uh, if somebody continues to resist the Lord, to fight against him in your life, uh, at some point he will, he will quit trying. And uh, that's a very scary thought, because we know what happened to Jerusalem shortly after his glory left the temple and left the city. Well, what happened to the ark? Did Indiana Jones find it? Uh, there was a movie made in 1981, uh, and Indiana Jones in this movie found the Ark of the Covenant. So I think the title of the movie is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, by the way, I just heard that Harrison Ford, uh, the actor who was Indiana Jones, has made his last Indiana Jones movie, and it comes out, comes out next month, I believe. Indiana Jones and is 80 years old now. So did Indiana Jones find the Ark? Uh, no. That's fiction. It makes for a good movie, but it's not true. So what happened to the ark? Was it lost? Was it captured by the Babylonians, similar to how the Philistines captured it at one time? Did Indiana Jones find it? No. Well, I believe the Bible has an answer to that question. If you you, um, really want to know, you could read Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. I think this is the answer. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. Somebody might disagree with me, but let me just read that verse to you. This is the Apostle John in the book of Revelation reporting that he saw the ark. And here's the, here's the verse. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. I don't think God allowed the Babylonians to get their hand on the ark. I think it's being kept in a safe place. (laughs) Heaven. We'll find out someday, right? The glory of, of the Lord was also on display in New Testament times. The shepherds saw the glory of the Lord on the night that Jesus was born, right there on the fields outside Bethlehem. And then we, we read the account of the transfiguration, a mountaintop experience where a bright cloud overshadowed the Lord and three disciples, Peter, James, and John, witnessed that and there was a vision of the Lord Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. Also, we read in John uh, chapter 17 that the Lord Jesus himself prayed that his followers would someday behold his glory. And then finally, uh, when the Lord Jesus returns, he will be known as the King of glory. And uh, that's described in Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. And by the way, those verses are also put to music in Handel's Messiah. So what did some of these things look like? Again, these are imperfect illustrations, but here's what uh, one artist thinks the glory of God appearing to the shepherds might have looked like. I'm sure it was a magnificent sight, and I'm sure that, that these pictures don't do it justice. 
Or what did the transfiguration look like as uh, the Savior uh, was transfer transfigured and three witnessed by three disciples? They, they refer to that experience later on in Scripture. It made a lasting impression on them. Again, these are imperfect illustrations, but uh, they might help us to imagine a little bit about what those uh, appearances of the glory of God might have looked like. But there's something coming that's going to be absolutely spectacular, and that's the glorious second coming of Christ. The Bible says that all flesh will see it. Revelation 1.7 says, every eye shall see him. Now, his first coming was as Savior, to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that from Luke 19.10. That's what he says. His second coming, though, is to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I'd like for you to turn to that in your Bibles. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit. This is an account in the Old Testament of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5 cover almost, we'll say, 2,000 years of earth history. Now, God can say a lot in just a few verses, 2,000 years of history. Actually, verses 3 through 5 are, are 2,000 years worth of history. So let me read this passage for you uh, quickly. And by the way, all of these words are put to music in Handel's Messiah. These are the very first uh, songs that have lyrics uh, in, in Handel's Messiah. Starting with verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, that's John the Baptist, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and here it comes. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So we see in those verses, I would say, a good 2,000 years of earth history we don't actually know when the Lord's going to return. It's going to be at least, it's going to be at least 2,000 years because we're right at that mark right now. Um, well, verse number th uh, 3, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, that's John the Baptist. Verses, uh, verse number 4 talks about valleys being exalted and every mountain and hill made low. Those are the changes to the topography of the earth as a result of earthquakes during the Great Tribulation. There's a there's a, a time coming called the Great Tribulation. That's a whole other topic. And only then will the second, Christ, uh, second coming of Christ be fulfilled where he actually touches down to the earth and his glory is revealed. It's coming, folks. Another Old Testament passage that talks about the glory of God in association with Christ's second coming is in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. If you'd like to turn there, uh, that might be worth looking at as well. Now, some of you here remember a young man named Tulio, who was here uh, several years ago, 
And while he was here, there was a performance of Handel's Messiah. I think Jan was the director, probably. I know she selected Tulio to be the soloist for these very verses. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. Tulio sung this solo, and these verses deal with the second coming. So let me read them for you. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. That could be today. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. It's coming. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Matthew 24, verse 30, describes the return of Christ as being with power and great glory. Wow, we've been talking about the glory of God. What is the great glory? Can't wait to see that. Uh, There's an indication it's going to be seen worldwide. After after all, every eye shall see him. So how how should we be living in this day and age? We're admonished in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, to be looking for his glorious appearing. Are you looking for his appearing? It's coming. The Lord Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, uh, prayed to his Father in heaven. I think, uh, I believe that all of John chapter 17 is a prayer by our Savior. Um, Included in that prayer was a prayer for all believers, including all future believers. You can see that in John chapter 17, verse 20. And included in that prayer for all future believers is that we may behold his glory. The Lord Jesus wants us as believers to someday see him in his glory. And he described it in that prayer as the same glory that he had before the foundation of the world. He wants us to see that. That's grace. That's, we have a gracious God. Also, we see in Scripture that the glory of God is associated with judgment. We see this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are a couple examples in the book of Numbers where uh, Numbers chapter 12 is where um, Aaron and Miriam wanted to take over leadership of the, uh, of the people. And God, it says there that God actually came down the pillar of cloud and spoke to them. And um, Miriam was struck with leprosy and... Uh, just a few chapters later, in chapter 16, there was a rebellion led by a man named Korah and 250 princes. They wanted to take over leadership. And uh, again, God's glory flared up, and uh, the result of that uh, rebellion was the, the, the earth literally opened up, and all of those rebels fell down into the uh, abyss, and the ground closed back up. They were gone. We know from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, that God's glory is, will be associated with his judgment throne someday in the future. The Bible says that every person will someday stand before the Lord. Romans 14, 12 says that every one of us will someday give an account of himself to God. So you're going to see his glory. Um, even if you're an unbeliever, uh, it's going to happen. Uh, there's, there's more than one judgment. There's a judgment of believers and judgment of unbelievers. You want to be in the, on the judgment of the believers. Let me tell you that. But I think God's glory is going to be associated 
with every judgment mentioned in Scripture. Finally, though, we see in one of the last, I guess the next to the last chapter in the book of Revelation, we see that the glory of the Lord will be the illumination of heaven. To the extent that the sun, the light of the sun and the moon will no longer be needed, and the glory of God will illuminate heaven. It'll become a common occurrence. Uh, now, we know from other scriptures that the sun and the moon will continue to exist, but we know from this scripture, Revelation 21, 23, that there will be no need for their light in heaven. So there's wonderful things coming for believers. Romans 8.18 says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. 1 Peter 5.1 says, Believers are partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. What a wonderful promise. 1 Corinthians 2.9, one of my favorite verses, says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And certainly his glory will be part of that. I've never seen it, but I'm looking forward to it. Now, an understanding of the glory of God helps us actually to understand some uh, maybe more difficult passages in Scripture. Let's look at one of those in particular. In Exodus chapter 33, we see a couple of statements that appear to be contradictory. For example... Uh, verse 11 says that Moses talked to God face to face. But in verse 20, uh, Scripture says that no man can see God's face and live. Well, I, how can both of those be true? Well, I think the clue is in verse 18. By the way, 18 is in between 11 and 20. In verse 18, Moses asked to see God's glory. And then in verse 20, that's when God said, you can't see my face and live. And I think what that means is we can't see God in all his glory and live, not in these bodies at least. And uh, kind of gives me a, like a welding example there, but a, like welding times a million. Um, so the understanding of God's glory helps to make sense of, those, of that apparent contradiction. Now, I believe there are many other places in Scripture where the glory of God uh, is in play, but it's not mentioned in those terms. For example, in the account of creation, uh, day one of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? But we see that the sun, moon, and stars were not created until day four of creation. So what was the source of light in days one, two, and three? It wasn't the sun, moon, and stars, doesn't say it in so many words, but I think the glory of God is a likely explanation. Makes sense. In fact, the Bible says in First um, John 1, 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Um, Psalm 104, verse 2 says that God covers himself with light as with a garment. And he stretched out the heavens like a curtain. Talk about understatement. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35 says that Moses' face shone after his encounter with God so much that he had to wear a veil. But there are probably other places where the glory of God is, is in play. It's, it's really what is happening, but it's not described in those terms. For example, when Christ ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives, a cloud received him out of their sight. 
Was that the glory cloud? Might have been. How about uh, Saul on the road to Damascus? A light blinded him, and he said later that it was a light brighter than the sun. Was that the glory of God? It doesn't say that. I think it could have been. Uh, Don't look at the welder and certainly don't look at the glory of God. It'll hurt your eyes because it hurt his eyes. So there are probably many other places in Scripture when the glory of God is really what is happening. So let's summarize. We see throughout Scripture several highlights where the glory of God was on display. And the first four items on the list here have all happened already. The second four are yet to happen. Now, maybe you think, wow, it would have been easy to have believed in God, to to have obeyed the Lord. If we would have been living in a time in the Exodus when the glory of God was on display every day, you know, every single day you saw it, would that have been easy? I mean, they even even, uh, had manna. God fed them every day. They saw the miracles in in Egypt and the Exodus and the miracles in in the wilderness. But if you read the first 12 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you see this sad account where even though they experienced all those things, an entire generation died in the wilderness. Uh, For some reason, the glory of God didn't really have the effect that we might think it would on them. It shows that we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Scripture says. Um, But as believers, we will someday behold the visible manifestation of God's presence in heaven. Until then, we are reassured by the indwelling Holy Spirit and the promise that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we're gathered together in his name today. The glory of God is not on display as we have described it in these passages, but we have his promise that he is here in our midst. Jesus told Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's John 20 verse 29 and that I believe should describe us. 2 Corinthians 5 7 says that we should walk by faith and not by sight. Now as believers someday there's a little sight that's going to come into play too but until then We walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal your glory in a special way in times past. We know from Scripture that you have said that you will not share your glory with any other. It belongs to you alone. Lord, what, by what grace you have shown toward us, what a gracious God you are, a God of love that you would someday want us to behold you in your glory. Lord, we pr- pray that until that day we might live in anticipation of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, today for Pastor and Lori as, they, as their sabbatical comes to a close. We pray, Lord, for the graduates who will be going through a ceremony later today. Uh, we, we thank you for the baby that was born two days ago to uh, Jake and Gigi. And we pray, Lord, for, for that young life and, and also for those uh, who are yet to be born to uh, members of our congregation. We pray uh, that you would watch over them in a special way. And we pray, Lord, that we might uh, 
live our lives, even though we have not seen your glory yet, we know that someday it will be revealed. But we, we, until then, we trust in your words, the words of our Savior that says, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Amen.